Yeah. 50 years of hip hop. 50 years of hip hop from Listener Power, KEXP. This is 50 Years of Hip Hop. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. This week, Martin Douglas takes us back to 2001 to unpack the legendary rivalry between Jay-Z and Nas. These twin towers of rap would come to collide in the same city where the source once crowned Biggie Smalls. Our story starts with an empty throne for the king of New York hip hop. For all intents and purposes, hip hop is a combat sport. Of course, rap is an art form and art is inherently subjective, but it's also a competition of wit and will, a proving ground to see where you measure up. The history of rap battles extends back to the days of DJs scratching brakes and dancers spinning on their heads. Soon, rap battles made their way from face-to-face freestyle bouts to recorded declarations of war, both territorial and personal. One of the most prominent of these bouts was the 2001 heavyweight clash between Jay-Z and Nas. In a lot of ways, the seeds were planted about five years prior during a rivalry of grave proportions. Pac is a strong dude, yo. I know Duke, you know what I'm saying? He's real strong. So when it was like he got shot, I was just more like, again? There have been documentaries, books, and biopics based on the murders of Tupac Shakur and Christopher Wallace, also known as the notorious B.I.G. and beloved in the rap community under the moniker Biggie Smalls. I mean, even though we was going through our drama, I would never wish death on nobody, you know what I'm saying? Because there ain't no coming back from that. It was a friendship turned misunderstanding, turned one-sided rivalry, turned bi-coastal tragedy. Tupac was murdered in Las Vegas in 1996, and Biggie was killed the following year in downtown Los Angeles. To make a very long story short, before being gunned down at just 24 years old, Biggie was almost unanimously regarded in the rap community as the king of New York. And though the city mourned him appropriately... Biggie was loved in the neighborhood. His funeral was a massive event. When someone put on Hypnotize, the whole place erupted. Rappers once regarded as peers didn't mourn for too long because there was a vacant throne to be seized. Jay-Z nods to big standing as a hit maker on the glossy 1997 single, The City Is Mine. Jay recites the first verse as both a tribute to his fallen friend and a pledge to become the next great artist in the already historic lineage of New York rap. In a way, he pushed himself into the conversation by constantly asserting that he was already one of the greats. Who's the best MCs, Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas? Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The idea of a holy trinity in hip-hop was nothing new, and Jay's claim on where I'm from felt a bit premature even to some of his fans. Still, it did come from someone with a great debut album, Reasonable Doubt, and a pretty okay follow-up. To be fair, In My Lifetime Volume 1 had a few very inspired moments, 
like the opener, A Million and One Questions. While I'm looking at my row, ice, spinning on my sleeve. Ugh, nice watch. Do you really have a spot? Like you said in front of four, and if so, what block? The ominous but pensive streets is watching. Look, if I shoot you, I'm brainless. But if you shoot me, then you famous. What's a nigga to do when the streets is watching? And the taunting imaginary player. And now you got these young cats acting like they slung caps. All in these dumb raps, talking about how they fun stacks. When I see him in the street, I don't see none of that. But there was a sense that Jay was adopting a glossier production style in order to sell more records. As much as he was criticized initially for copying off of Big's test, so to speak, most rappers used Bed-Stuy great style as a template. Even Nas. One love. One love. One love. Nas's critically exalted debut album, Illmatic, virtually elevated him to poet laureate status in hip-hop in 1994. Two years later, he dropped It Was Written. The jazz samples and personal writing of Illmatic were largely replaced with gritty street narratives and glossy, expensive samples. On his second album, Nas reinvents himself as a mafioso-inspired kingpin type, giving him the same surname as Medellin cartel founder Pablo Escobar. There's a similar lyrical focus to the themes of Illmatic, but only to a degree. Nas scored the biggest hit of his career with the pensive and earnest If I Ruled the World, assisted on the chorus by Lauryn Hill. But elsewhere, the reinvention took hold. He penned fictional tales steeped in the crime world, like shootouts. Still on the streets with my peeps so deep. We threw a block party for my man going up creek. The doors to the fort. Show love from all around the board. Peace, Lord, Sony, Handy, Camera, Record. And assembled a quasi-supergroup with a mafia aesthetic called The Firm, named after the 1993 mob movie starring Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman. Mega the pretty boy with mafia connections. It's The Firm. Yo, my mind is seeing through your design like blind fury. I shine Jerry sipping on crushed grapes. We lust papes. On his third album, I Am, Nas penned a heartfelt tribute to Big titled We Will Survive, which featured a line that arguably kickstarted the Cold War between him and his peer, Jay Z. But now competition is none. Now that you're gone and these is wrong, using your name in vain, and they claim to be New York's king. It ain't about that. Between 1998 and the summer of 2001, Jay-Z and Nas fought in the margins of verses on deep album cuts and mixtape freestyles. Throughout this space of time, Jay achieved the King of New York status on his proverbial vision board. He became a respected MC and a reliable hit maker. He also amassed a team of protégés making a name for themselves in the streets. Meanwhile, Nas received mixed reactions for his albums It Was Written and I Am. The reaction to the debut from The Firm was also lukewarm. And when Nas released his fourth album, Nostradamus, in late 1999, to put it rather diplomatically, it was considered a creative failure. All of Nas's albums sold well except for the full length by The Firm. Still, they were all products of rampant mixtape leaks and bootlegging. 
The public was so hungry for Nas's brilliance that the finished commercial products paled in comparison to the songs left behind and sold illegally on Canal Street. This one of the songs right here. The summer of 2001 is when all this simmering tension would come to a head. After all the rumors, debates, and private barbs held in very public forums, Jay-Z stepped on stage at Hot 97's annual Summer Jam event in New York and declared war. His headlining performance was most notable for his dismissal of Prodigy, one half of the infamous rap duo Mob Deep. Jay attempted to embarrass his rival by posting an old photo from a dance studio, a far cry from the rapper who once threatened to stab you with your nose bone. The eight words at the end of the track, Takeover, was what really had the rap world talking. Performed a cappella, Jay said, Ask Nas, he don't want it with Hove. That led Nas to immediately strike back. In a track called The Stillmatic Freestyle, he unfurls a long verse, heavy with the sort of weight that made him beloved. Fast and bring it back up top, remove the fake king of New York. You show off, I count off when you sample my voice, I rule you. Before you used to rap like the fool snickers, Nas designed your blueprint, who you kidding? The track obviously made headlines for directly targeting Jay, with lines focused on his Rockefeller crew, his clothing line, and what Nas deemed as his fabricated street rep. At this point, summer was turning to fall. On the same day as one of the most tragic events in American history, September 11, 2001, Jay-Z released his sixth full-length album, The Blueprint. While Manhattan was still smoldering and bathed in ash, over 400,000 buyers eagerly listened to track two, Takeover. I know you miss the Nasda. But along with celebrity comes about 70 shots to your frame. Over Kanye West's now immortal flip of five to one by the doors, the newly christened Jay Hova takes his most vocal detractors to task. The song's third verse is where Jay unloads his scathing critique of Nas's career. Jay tracks the regression of quality in his rival's output, paints Nas as the author of a fictional life, notes how Nas was screwed over for his publishing royalties, credits himself as the source of Nas's street narratives and very subtly alludes to sleeping with the mother of Nas's daughter, the latter of which will end up being a crucial moment in determining the winner of this battle. Nas will strike back two months later with Ether on an album titled Stillmatic, also track two. It's a personal meditation, a career resurrection, a lament about an artist whose style he fathered, selling a soul for riches. It's a takedown so thorough, so vicious, so bitterly personal that the word ether became a verb, meaning to completely annihilate an opponent. Shit sounds stupid when KRS already made an album called Blueprint First. Biggie's your man, then you got the nerve to say that you better than big. Sucking lips, won't you let the late great veteran live? Jay-Z's track Takeover evokes the king batting away a broken down foe not even worth his time. However, the track Ether finds Nas adopting a number of perspectives. The elite MC who Jay sought out as a fan. The proud father looking at his son's success with a mix of amusement and worry for his eternal soul. 
the prophet observing the jester trying to nestle under the wing of various kings. Jay's past life as the sidekick in Jazzo's Hawaiian Sophie video crops up. So does the kid getting chased to his public housing building wearing his mentor's gold chains. Nas takes Jay to task for having the nerve to say he surpassed Big only after his friend has gone cold in his grave. And as a parting kick in the shin, he says Jay talks greasy and then walks it back in apology like he did with Yonkers rapper Jadakiss. How the winner of a battle is determined usually comes down to who has the last word. In the war of words between Jay-Z and Nas, it was actually Jay who delivered the final blow in a mixtape freestyle called Super Ugly, which lives up to his name. Over the beat for Nas's single, Got Yourself a Gun, Jay offers details of sleeping with the mother of Nas's daughter, Destiny. You got a baby by the bra, you can't disown her yet. When is your lies end? When is the truth begin? When is reality set in? Or does it not matter? Gotta hurt, I'm your baby mama's favorite rapper. The diss was so crass that Jay-Z's own mother, Gloria Carter, urged him to apologize for recording the track. Even though Jay delivered that final blow, the battle was near unanimously decided as a win for Nas. After 2001, he and Jay took swipes at each other for the next few years over various songs, most notably on the title track of Jay's 2002 double album, The Blueprint 2, where he took issue with the double standard he felt he was held to in terms of misogynistic lyrics. They call me this misogynist, but they don't call me the dude that take his dollars to give gifts at the prize these dudes. It's all politics, depositing checks they put in their pocket. All you get in return is a lot of lip. And y'all body is caught up in the hype. Cause a nigga wear goofy, it don't mean it bright. In 2006, Jay and Nas finally came together on a track called Black Republican to officially end their near decade long rivalry. We had governing, who would have thought the love would end? Like ice cold album, all good things. Never thought we sing the same song that all hood sing. Thought it was all wood brain, all good brain. It wasn't necessarily the Titanic meeting that was expected after all these years, but it was a good track and a positive note to end their years of insults. The song had an air of inevitability. After all, pretty much no one ever considered the possibility of actual violence culminating from this feud. All in all, the main event clash between Jay-Z and Nas was a historically significant, high-profile clash of two talented artists with larger-than-life personalities and egos. It's exactly the kind of box office attraction that brings fans of the sport of rap into the fold. This piece was written by Martin Douglas. Audio was produced by Roddy Nickport. Next week, we're taking you back to 2016 with the track Caroline by Amine. Plus, since next week contains a sort of unofficial holiday, we're also holding a conversation about the relationship between hip-hop and marijuana. Don't miss it. Your financial support makes this show happen. Thanks to everybody who's made a donation to KEXP. Become an amplifier or leave a one-time donation at kexp.org slash 50hiphop. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. We'll see you next time on 50 Years of Hip Hop from listener-powered KEXP, where the music matters. Music matters.